I want to look tonight again and continue our little study on what the Bible actually says. And it's inspired, obviously, as I've said, to do this by some of the questions. If you go on social media, there's quite a, lot, quite a large attack on Christianity, quoting, misquoting, sorry, verses. And, you know, I think God's people need to be equipped, especially in these last days and especially with young people, because this is what they're getting fed in universities, being told that, you know, the Bible is... Uh, you know, an antiquated book which has no relevance whatsoever for today and many other things. And so just want to go through a few things uh, and I want to look tonight about the Holy Spirit or tradition and what really uh, I want to look at there. The, the, most of the attacks on the move of the Spirit come from within. They come from within the church. Many come from without, but sadly they come from within the church. Uh, you know, there's a great uh, move against the holy outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, the sad thing is they quote the leg of the Toronto blessing where people were barking like dogs. And, you know, that's not the move of the Holy Spirit. And the unfortunate thing about the move of God and, and the gifts of the Spirit is that they attract the eccentric, but it's the eccentric that attracts the attention. And so people see things and uh, believe that that's what Christians think about the Holy Spirit, and that's what happens, but it's not. It's not. So let's look and see what the Bible says. A bit of a revision for you to start off with. But again, it's important that we know, and it's important that we equip ourselves so that we can defend what we believe as children of God. So the first uh, verse I want to obviously take is uh, Acts 2, verse 38. And it said... Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So ye shall receive it. You shall receive it. Now, again, we're going to look at this a bit later on, maybe time depending. But, you know, it doesn't say there that the elders and the pastors and the oversight and the deacons, what it says, you shall Peter was talking to people that wanted to know how to be saved. They had seen the move of God. And they said, what must we do to be saved? They'd seen the, the, the difference in these men. They'd seen that they heard the tongues and, and their own languages. They'd seen the rejoicing. They listened to uh, Peter's sermon as he stood on the steps of Jerusalem. And their question was, what must we do to be saved? And Peter's answer was to every one of them, repent, which we know, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you know, this wasn't something that Peter made up because the Old Testament speaks of the promise given by God in the last days where he would pour out his spirit upon his people. Uh, Joel 2, 28 and 29. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. We're not getting any joy there, guys. There we go. And I will, sorry, it'll come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. This is God talking through his servant, Joel. And he's saying, will I pour out my spirit? So this is God saying, God doesn't have to say, I promise you I'll pour out my spirit because his word is yea and amen. Whenever God said he's going to do something, 
he's going to do it. He doesn't change his mind after a few months, after a few years. He doesn't look at each particular, what they call church age, and think, no, 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 right, that's not for them. He said, I will pour out my spirit. What is happening here is Almighty God is saying he will pour out himself. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again the third day and ascended into heaven, it meant that we had access into the very holy of holies, that we were living stones, and we were the temple of the Holy Ghost. So God was going to fill us with himself. And this promise obviously continues in the Old Testament. For example, Ezekiel 11, verse 9. And it tells us, and I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. This new spirit within them was the spirit of God, not the spirit of this world as they live by. So this spirit, which again, this promise given, I will give them one heart. This was a spirit which would come and would unite God's people. It would bring them together into his body, and it would bring them together as his witnesses in the last days on the earth. So as I said, it's the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the world. And there's many other verses there, but I want to go into the New Testament. And we're going to Matthew 3 and 11. And this promise that about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is reiterated by John the Baptist. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So this is John the Baptist, definitely a man of God, even recognized by the Pharisees and the religious people of the day as a man of God, and especially by the people of the day. And they were coming out to him, and he was saying that I indeed baptize you with water. But listen to what he said, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. What will he do, John? He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Even Jesus, uh, he instructed his disciples, therefore, to wait for the Spirit. In Acts 1, verse 4 to 5, <clears throat> he said, wait for the promise of the Father. So this is Jesus telling them that, uh, that God is going to fulfill his word. Wait for the promise of the Father. What was that promise? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And he said, this promise which saith he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days thence. Then, <clears throat> then in Acts 1 verse 8 it says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So they were told to wait and they would receive this power. And in Acts 2 we definitely see the fulfillment <clears throat> of this and of these scriptures and read how the Holy Spirit descended upon the New Testament church. And the change it made in each and every one of their lives. And if you go to Acts 2, we'll read from verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, they waited in this upper room. Yes, some say that they were afraid uh, uh, because the persecution was starting and the leaders of the day, the religious people, were looking for them. 
But they were fulfilling, they were doing, sorry, what the Lord asked them to do, to wait. And we see how the Holy Ghost poured upon them. And the thing about this is we know that Jesus, after his resurrection, and he revealed himself to the disciples, he spent 40 days after this, before his ascension, with the disciples, teaching them all things concerning the kingdom of God. And so that would have been wonderful to have been there, to know and to, to have these scriptures uh, revealed to us, Jesus revealing himself through the scriptures, telling them what's going to happen, and then telling them you must wait on the outpouring. And then we looked at what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, again when he asked by the crowds that day in Acts 2.37. It says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then we go to verse 38, which is read, Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so the change had happened already because these men, if they'd have been out without the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives, and this fisherman had a stood in the steps of Jerusalem and tried to tell them what the things he had seen, the things he had witnessed. He'd have been told to get off the steps. He'd have been told to get lost. But there was something different. Something empowered these men, and people could see it. You didn't, they didn't need to tell them. Something has happened to us. They've seen it in them. They've seen it in their faces. They've seen it in the way they were reacting. They've seen it in their worship before the Lord. And they said their hearts were pricked. They were touched. And if we want to touch this world, they've got to see something different than us. They don't want to see someone who can teach them all the, the laws and all the things that they need to do before they become a Christian. But if you're filled with the Holy Ghost and God is moving through you and the joy of the Lord overtakes you and you're worshiping and praising God, people see a difference in you. And that's what draws them. That, that's what convicts them. We've got to remember, church, it's good that we seek to do all that we can to attract people to this place. But you know what the truth is? It's the Holy Spirit convicts. The greatest preacher in the world, the Billy Grahams of the world, all that, they've done a fantastic job. But you know something? It's not their words. It was the Holy Spirit convicting the hearts of the people. You know, church, no one ever invited me here. It was a conviction that I was in sin. I needed to change my life. And that's why I came to church. And when I was in church, it was just amazing because I'd never been in a Pentecostal church in my life. I thought they were all headbangers when I seen them on TV. But you know something? As Gina and I sat there, as the choir went past, my word, just the anointing of the choir, let alone the congregation, I just knew something is different here. And the worship and people were actually smiling in church that I'd never seen before. And people were enjoying. Why were they enjoying it? Because the move of God was there. The power of God was there. What they were saying was realistic. You know, <clears throat> any church I've ever been in, and to be honest with you, I only was in church uh, at band parades, you know, and even then we stood outside. <laughs> but, you know, talk about the church of Borum Stiff. See some of the ones that I sat in, my word. But this was different. And this is what happened in the day of Pentecost. After fulfilling the obligation to repent and then be baptized, the promise is that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a word. These people, I want that. I want what you have. Do people look at you and say, I want what you have? Do you? Or do they? I remember one individual I was visiting, and he was in a fold. And the warden of the fold, I know I'm here to see ABCD. See him, he's the kind of man that puts people off going to church. 
You know, is that what people see? Or do they see the Holy Ghost in you? Do they see something in your life that they want? You know, when people who knew you before see you, do they see a difference? It's a great compliment. Uh, I was at a funeral. I was actually officiating for a friend. His dad died. And two or three of the people there said, you've changed. And I say, well, I'm looking older, but I know what they meant, you've changed. It's God's power they could see, God's move in your life. But they were told to wait. Think of it. Why did God tell the disciples, in fact, tell us that we needed to wait for the promise? Was when, uh, why did Jesus, during his teaching the disciples, in the 40 days he spent with them about the things concerning the kingdom of God, why did he emphasize the need to wait? Acts 1, verse 4 and 5. There we go. And I like that word, and I've checked it up, and it does mean a, 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 a given command. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. A command. This wasn't Jesus saying, look, if you're free on Saturday morning, could you make it up to the upper room? He said, get in there, command you to wait on the promise from the Father. And for me, this is clear as a bell. Why were they to wait? If they'd have went out in his name, they wouldn't have done anything. As I've said, their influence was none. Wait for the promise of the Father. They and themselves were not ready to fulfill or complete the work that the Lord had for them. You know, if you have a desire in your heart to do something for the Lord, go to Bible school if you feel it's important. I studied when I was first saved at the Emmaus Bible School, ended up with a teacher certificate. But you know something? It didn't change me as such. Well, it did in a sense, and in my knowledge of the Word of God. What changed me? In February 1982, I was baptized in Jesus' name. And a few months after that, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that was the big change in my life. The big change in my life. But we needed to, I had to wait. It didn't happen the first time I prayed. I had to wait. And you know, when, when we try to do things on our own, we just cannot do it. And Jesus told him, you'll not do this on your own. You need my wisdom. You need my power. My youngest grandchild, we Holly is too. And she is a determined wee girl, my word. And she likes to walk up the steps herself. And I tried that with no granddad. And that's all I get and pushed away. So I have to walk behind her. And she falls. So Granda is there. And we're a bit like that. We need Jesus behind us. Strengthening us in us. Moving through us. Think of it. These were fishermen. These were tax collectors. These were tent makers. They were all unknowns of society. And they were the ones called to be his witnesses. Just like I said the other week there. Your value in the eyes of God is more than all the riches of this world. And he wants to empower you. He wants to change you. You know, the, what's the old saying? Uh, what is it? No, I'm trying, that's probably gone. I'm trying to think of this. God doesn't call. Somebody finish it for me. I have to get this out of my head. It's going to torture me all night. That's it. God doesn't call the equip. He equips the call. And you know something? You don't need to be some master of the word of God or some great person. You just need to be a child of God. He'll surrender to the Lord and he will fill you to overflowing with the spirit. Church needs the power of God as individuals in their lives and as a church. We need the wisdom of God in our lives and we need the love of God in our lives. And Jesus wants to do that. 
Think of it, the task ahead of us, just as it was for the disciples, is too great for mere man. You know, when you look at what the world's doing and, and the ground that uh, the secularism of the, uh, of the society, the ground that they are gaining, it's too great for mere man. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need that change. We need to, the people to see something that is different, Amen. see some hope, see some joy in people's lives. And then, you know, the, the wonderful thing when you think about it, and I know we've preached on it many times, Jesus told them that the miracles that they had seen him do, they would do more and even greater. How can mere man do this with his own finite abilities? You can't. You need the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You need to trust the Lord. And these things happen, not every day, but you want to know something? It didn't happen to Paul every day. You know, Billy spoke about him being in Arabia for three years. Somebody wasn't healed every day. Somebody wasn't saved every day. He worked at it along with those that helped him back there. And it will happen when we trust God. When the disciples went out in the power of God, signs and wonders followed their ministries. And the haven't stopped church. You hear testimonies from a lot of countries that are in persecution and some wonderful testimonies coming out at the minute from Pakistan where if you said you're a Christian, that's a death penalty. And yet God is moving. An American uh, pastor friend of mine sent a thing he had got from a missionary, an American missionary in northern Iraq, near the, uh, near the Kurds, but I don't know the area, so I'm just thinking that's what he said. But he said he is begging for people to come out and help him. There's that many Muslims turning to the Lord. He can't do it on his own. And he's actually crying out for people to come and, and help him uh, go uh, you know, with these people that are turning to the Lord. What is changing that? The power of God. The power of God. If I'm, we went in there into Iran, Iraq, or whatever, and, and started to, to witness in our own strength, we'd be beheaded. But you know something? When the power of God moves through you, you cannot argue with it. And I believe that's what's happening. People are being healed. People's lives are being changed. And God is moving. So how, <clears throat> how do we receive this? These signs, these wonders, does it just automatically happen? Well, it doesn't. Acts 5 and 12, it said, <clears throat> by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought amongst the people. Well, this is by their witness, by, by, by their, their reaching out to people. The lame walked, the blind received their sight, the deaf received their hearing, lives were changed, broken hearts were mended, and captives were set free. So the receiving of the Holy Ghost, they were not told, this is just for the select band. Nowhere in the Word of God, and please come and correct me at the end if you've found it. Nowhere in the Word of God does, God, does the Lord say, does the Word of God reveal that it is just for a select group of people. It's for everyone. It's for those who genuinely seek it. It says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, some tell us that, that uh, and this is a, not an argument, but this is what you'll be told, and many people have tried to tell me this, you receive this power automatically when you become a Christian. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. Christ dwells in you, they say, and therefore you're already filled with God or with the Holy Spirit. Well, this is not so. This is not what the Word of God says. This gift, apart from a few exceptions, was manifested when the, hosp when the hospitals, when the apostles laid their hands upon you. The laying of hands is a symbolic act expressing the imparting spiritual authority and power. And again, let's let the Word of God talk for itself. 
Acts 8. <clears throat> Amen. Acts 8. Now, when the apostles, I think there's animation in that, so just put them all up. Thank you, Cameron. That's an old one I used. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was not falling upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were saved, they had repented, they had been baptized in Jesus' name, but they had not yet received the Holy Ghost. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the hands of the apostles of the Holy Ghost was given, he offered money, saying, Give me also this power, that in whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. Then we go into Acts 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain, certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Again, they had repented, they had been baptized in Jesus' name. They said unto Paul, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, John's, baptize, John, John's baptism. Then said Paul, John baptized uh, with, repent, with a baptism of repentance, saying unto all the people that you believe in him which you come after him, that is, on Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And there's other scriptures I can give you, but that's when they began to talk, when the, or began to minister in the Spirit, when the apostles laid their hands on them. And you know, this is really abused. If you remember a few years ago, I'm not going to name names, I'm not attacking anyone, but there was allegedly a mighty move of God and people were being resurrected from the dead. And I couldn't believe that, uh, I wouldn't say uh, he's a friend, he's a pastor I know from different prayer meetings I was at, but I'd heard that he had flown to America with some coal in his pocket. And this guy that was having this great revival was going to empower them with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, and I thought, this is a man who knows the word of God. Beautiful brother in the Lord. But phew, what on earth are they at? It's the laying on of hands. It's the Holy Spirit which empowers you, which comes upon you when the elders lay their hands on you. Nothing, there's no magic power in an elder that he can walk up to you and say, you've got the Holy Ghost. It's God moving through his vessel and blessing you with his spirit. <clears throat> this was necessary for new Christians to receive this Holy Ghost. It tells me again, you don't immediately receive the infilling when you ask the Lord to be your Savior. It tells me that this gift from God, it helps us, hold on. <coughs> Why receive it? Well, in Acts 1 verse 8, if you go to the next one for me, please, camera. It helps us to witness. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Ye shall be my witnesses. I want to be a witness for the Lord. Know what Jesus is saying? Be filled with the Holy Ghost and you shall become my witness. It seals us. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We have the royal seal upon us, the Spirit of God within us. <coughs> and this seal, I mean, a seal was to show that you were there on behalf of a, an emperor, of a king. And when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, people can see that we are the children of God. We are acting as his people, as his witnesses, as he called us. It helps us to pray. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. 
I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. Also, the Spirit of God helps us to pray. You know, it's thank God for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. There's times that I've been praying, and I don't know what to pray, and I don't even know at times what God wants me to do, and I've just started speaking in tongues and then praying with the understanding, speaking, and just God reveals these things to you. It's there to help you, to equip you. <coughs> we go to 1 John one twenty-seven, and it says, <coughs> it, it teaches us, 1 John sorry, 2.27, you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And it directs us, Acts 10, 19 to, uh, to 33, Peter was directed by the Spirit to go to the house of Cornelius. Ananias was directed by the Spirit to go and fetch Paul and bring him to his home. And we know, I mean, Ananias, he must have thought the Lord was joking. And this man has a letter to arrest me and take me to Jerusalem. And what did Jesus say? I have chosen him. How did Ananias know? Because he had the Spirit of God in him. He had that openness for God to speak to him. And so church, despite what people tell us today, the infilling of the Holy Ghost is for you as a child of God. God wants to fill you with power from on high. The gifts of the Spirit are certainly, they're given for personal edification and they're they're given for the edifying of the body. In other words, to build you up in your faith and to build up the body of Christ, to encourage you in your most holy faith. And once given, again, as we looked at and uh, Jay Fallon really concentrated on this, we need to stir it up. This is important. For 2 Timothy 1, 6-8, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Church, we need to every so often get before God and stir up that gift. Stir up that gift within us. Seek God's face. It can go cold. Circumstances sometimes, we, uh, no, no matter what they may be, maybe something discouraging has happened or maybe something bad has happened, maybe an illness. This is when we've got to stir up that gift and stir it up within us and seek the face of the Lord. How do we stir it up? We pray before him. We pray before him. We don't want to be powerless. It's a very simple illustration I've given many times. Go home tonight and try for yourself. Fill the kettle with water and then stand and watch to see how long it'll take it to boil. I mean, you know yourself, nothing's going to happen until what? Until you turn the power on. We need to turn the power on. To boil the water with our electric, well, you'll be waiting for a long time. It's like a thing the engineers or the fitters used to send the apprentices for a long wait down to the store. You used to stand there like an idiot for an hour waiting. And then the store man says, you've had your long wait, and I go back to work. <laughs> and we've been waiting even longer than an hour for that. You know, church, I want this church to boil for the Lord, to stir up the gift that is within each and every one of us, that we will be able to minister to the Lord and to each other, that the anointing of God will fall. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, it says, I will pray in the Spirit. I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit. I will sing in words I understand. Paul is trying to encourage the church at Corinth to just 
break free, get rid of their inhibitions, and just worship the Lord. To worship the Lord with all their heart. <clears throat> we go to slide 16 for me there. there. He said, I will pray in the Spirit. He will pray in the Spirit. He will just call out to God in the unknown tongue. <clears throat> I will pray in words I understand. He said, I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing in words I understand. This is for all of us, just to, 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 to just break out and worship the Lord. You know, the Holy Spirit, beyond any shadow of a doubt, for me, was not just for the New Testament church. I think we need it more today than ever before. The Holy Spirit is not about you. It's about edifying the church. You know, as I've said, there's many today, and you will, when you meet Christians from other churches, they will tell you that either uh, you were filled with the Spirit when you became a Christian, or the, the, the Holy Spirit was for a certain dispensation, and it's no longer needed. That's not what the Word of the Lord says. It's needed for today, and it's needed <clears throat> for, for, for you and for me. But there's something we've got to understand about the Holy Spirit. It's not about you. It's about edifying the church. You see, the only gift given for the personal edification is the gift of tongues. The only gift given for personal edification is the gift of tongues. And so every other manifestation of the, of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit is to build up the body of Christ. And it's, it's to build up the body of Christ. It's not to build up your ego. You know, Pastor Connolly used to say, you have to learn to differentiate between your ego and the anointing. And we are people who are pride. We have pride, don't we? And we need to be careful. And it's something that I always pray and try to be careful about. <clears throat> because there are people, and they want to steal the show. They think they're the only ones that have got a particular gift. I remember speaking to one individual who told me a nine gifts. You know, you just shake your head sometimes when you hear it. But I think of men that I learned from, and Pastor Conley, there's no one in this room can deny that he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he could speak in tongues, he could prophesy, he could sing in tongues, uh, he, he could sing in the Spirit. Uh, and you know one thing I always noticed about him? He didn't sing every Sunday in every prayer meeting. I remember talking to him once. I had a very great privilege uh, just before he really began to uh, not understand what he was doing sometimes, but he was fully uh, cognitive sound. And I talked to him about that, and he said, you have to let other people minister. You know, and I said to him, because we'd, we'd had a, a debate uh, we're in a Bible study we all done, some of the young men, and they were saying, you know, if you're filled with the tongues, you should be speaking in tongues every service, well, you should, but they were talking about on your own so that everyone could hear you. And I spoke to Pastor Connolly about that, and his words to me were, you have to encourage other people to minister. He could speak in tongues every service he was in. I can speak in tongues every service I'm in. I can speak in the Spirit every service I'm in. But we have to remember, it's not about us. We need to let other people minister also. The Holy Spirit does things <coughs> decently, and in order. And I honestly don't believe, and this is my opinion, and you're allowed to disagree with me, as I've said a hundred times, I don't believe the Holy Spirit, when it moves in you, you lose all control of yourself. 
Because the only people in the word of God that lost control were those that were losing the demons when they were being cast out, church. And some of the things you see, <laughs> do you remember the, the group was over here, Crab Revival? Adam Crab, uh, Jason Crab's brother, fantastic group. But I remember them well. Lovely young man and a uh, young woman with them, loved the Lord. But Adam was showing me a, a video, a clip from a church near him. And they were quite nice. They were worshiping the Lord and <clears throat> singing away. And then the next thing, this man, I'm talking about a mature man, in his 40s, 50s, he takes off around the church, starting running around. Next thing, someone else runs. And then the next thing, this boy runs up to the front, pushes a pastor out of the way, and jumps into the baptismal tank, and then jumps up and starts worshiping. And you know, it got worse than that. And you know, and that's not the Holy Spirit, folks. The, things are done decently and in order. The Holy Spirit won't make you bark like a dog. Do you want to know something? A demon will. You just be very careful. The Holy Spirit moves <coughs> for, in a decent way and in an orderly way. And sometimes, you know, it's a thing that I pray about, and I'm, I say to myself, Lord, are we traditional now in the way we minister in church? Think about this church. And again, you can disagree with me. You see, what we do in church, if someone speaks in tongues, then everyone goes silent. Someone interprets. Someone else speaks in tongues. Someone interprets. Then if someone starts to speak in the, the uh, spirit of prophecy, well, then the tongues give way to the greater gift. But you know something? I've been in churches where everybody speaks in tongues all at once when they worship the Lord. And it's unbelievable, the anointing and the presence of God. I've been in UPC churches in England and Scotland. I'm very privileged to be asked to come over and preach there, uh, particularly at the university they have in Scotland. And it's just amazing, just when they come to the end of a service, or they come and God moves, and every man, woman, and child in that building is speaking in tongues and worshiping the Lord. There's no interpretation, and you don't need an interpretation every time tongues is used. We kind of, are we kind of in that tradition where, oh, somebody speaks in tongues, everyone's to be silent, and someone has to interpret. No, it doesn't. Church, you can all worship the Lord together. You can all worship in tongues together. I've never read in the Bible that we have to speak one at a time. Now, certainly if there's a lull and there's a move of God and someone breaks out and does speak in a tongue, that's the time for interpretation. I'm all for that. But you know something? To let God move, then we've got to let him move. We've got to say this is the way we do things. This is the way we've been doing it for 50 years, for 40 odd years from I've been in this church anyway. We need to be open to the move of God. Done decently, done in order. I've been in churches where I've seen people interrupting the sermon and standing up to give a word of knowledge. And I was sitting thinking to myself, Pastor Conley had threw you out the door. <laughs> you even got your second word out. <laughs> but that's the, 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 the way that it was. A, I think it was in Las Vegas. It was in a church. And I mean, even when the minister was preaching, there was people prophesying, there was people doing this. And it was just with great respect. I mean, they love the Lord, but it just wasn't done decently and in order. We need to let God move, but let it be done properly. Because I've never read in the Bible, again, like I said, we don't need to speak one at a time. And I've never read in the Bible that anyone's exempt from ministering in the Spirit. I remember someone coming to me, and I wasn't at the service. If I had been, I would have intervened. And this is in our own church, folks. 
and they, were to they had uh, interpreted. And they wouldn't tell me who, but someone went and told them, you should not interpret, you're not an elder. Brothers and sisters, that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. If you hear someone speaking in tongues and you start to interpret, you'll get my hallelujahs along with you because I want to encourage. And if you make a mistake, so what? Amen. Amen. We're in God's people. I made mistakes. I was corrected by Pastor Colley. I didn't leave church and get offended. I was glad that he showed me what I was doing wrong. We've got to <clears throat> let God move in our church. Let the power of God fill this house and this land. Let the power of God fill us to overflowing. Let, again, everything be done decently in order, and let us glorify the Lord in his church. I have more to say, but look, I'll leave it there. But the, the, the thing that I'm trying to get across tonight is let's let God move in our midst. Let's let God move in our midst. People, and I can see it from the platform, and any of the worship team will tell you, if someone speaks on this side of the church in tongues, and someone starts speaking on that side of the church in tongues, you can see everybody, ooh, it doesn't matter, church. It doesn't matter. You know, it's a big building, and there's no way around it. I mean, we can have what they call the floating mic, but it'll not work because if there's a mic, those that want to be heard. <laughs> well... I would say the danger with the mic is the egotists will be, oh, there's a mic, let me get it quick. But if God moves, if six people start speaking at once, so what? Let's worship the Lord. It's not done out of order. It's people moved, inspired by God to worship the Lord. Isn't it? So church, stir up that gift that is in you. The priest can come back, please. And just, again, just search the word of God. Don't take my word for it. God wants to fill you to overflowing, wants to bless you. And I'll just finish with this one. As people, <clears throat> they, they minister in their week, and I'll give you an example. A pastor told me once, he'd heard of this house group, and this house group, they were speaking in tongues, and they were prophesying, and the anointing was unbelievable, and he should come and witness it. And so he got the, whatever they call the leader of this house group, he said to them, no. I'm not going to see, go to your house to watch a move of the Spirit. You are all going to come to church and let the church see the move of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? There's no one place where you can minister in the Spirit but come to church and be like a dead duck. Amen? You worship God wherever you are. If you have a tongue, use it. If you have a, a word of prophecy, use it. And let's glorify the Lord. I'll stop. I could go on.